Father, you are worthy of extravagant worship and praise. You are so awesome and beauty, greatly to be praised. Father, it's a joy to come together as brothers and sisters in Christ to focus on your majesty, your glory, your awesomeness. Father, we want to thank you so much for bringing us to this special place with you. Father, as we look into your word, we, we pray your blessing on it. Jesus said, I speak to you these things, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy would be full. Father, speak to us now, that our joy would be full. Open up our hearts and our eyes to receive from you this morning. We pray that this would be edifying, beneficial, and helpful to the body. So we pray that you would do that work. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, many of you know I started a new job this year. And one of the many privileges is that I now have weekends off. I haven't had weekends off my entire married life. So now I can go to Saturday functions like baseball games and graduation parties and birthday parties with my family. And I also get to see things in our community that I've never seen before, at least for a long time. One major thing that I've seen on Saturdays is the obvious presence and work of the Jehovah Witnesses. Every Saturday, I see them in front of the post office, out in Veterans Park. They're outside shopping areas. In fact, one Saturday as a family, we went for a bike ride on a beautiful trail in Goshen. Now, the trailhead was off the beaten path in somewhat seclusion. We got to the trailheads with our bikes, and there they were. They had their tables set up, the pamphlets and, and all the books, tracks and, and all the information on a bicycle trailhead. It seems like they're everywhere. But you know, there are many reasons to be sad about this. But one is, can you imagine pouring all of your time, your energy, your resources, your strength, and your life, all of your blood, sweat, and tears into, quote-unquote, pleasing God, only to find out it was all wrong? It was all wasted. You know, certain terrorist groups face the same thing. They're giving up their lives to drive airplanes into buildings and do other acts of terror, destroying themselves and others, thinking that they're, quote-unquote, pleasing their God, only to find out moments later it was wrong. It was awful. And you know, it's possible as Christians to think that what we're doing is pleasing to God when, in fact, we also could be wasting our time. Now, the issue lies in what we believe about God. We as Christians, we base our acts of worship on what we think God is like. So understanding what God is like will help us to know how to please him. For example, if you want to do something special for someone you love, it's important to do things that you know that person will like. 
Now, in order to do that, you have to know what that person likes because if you don't, you could actually be offending someone with your quote-unquote gift. So if we really truly want to be pleasing to God, we have to know what he likes, what he enjoys. You know, taking time to do that is really the only way to obey the command that God gives us in 2 Corinthians 5.9, where he says, quote, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Now, looking at this verse, we see the command to the Corinthians and to us is to make it our aim, make it our goal and focus to be well-pleasing to God. Well, the challenge here is we don't want to go through a life that's quote-unquote dedicated to God only to find out it was actually offensive. The Pharisees fell right into this. We see in Matthew 23, 15, that they traveled land and sea just to win one person to the faith. We see in Matthew 23, 23, that they paid a tithe. They gave a tenth of all their increase. We see in the Gospel of Luke that some even fasted twice a week. Now let's take a moment to really get this. Would we travel to the other side of the world if it meant one person would come to Christ? Are we as dedicated as the Pharisees in that? Are we as dedicated as giving in our giving as the Pharisees were? And fasting? What does that part of our walk with the Lord look like in our lives? Do we fast at all, let alone twice a week? But you talk about a life dedicated to God. Now imagine, for a second, giving up all those resources, all that food and comfort, all that time, only to be called a hypocrite, a whitewashed tomb, a brood of vipers, and a son of hell. That's what Jesus called them. The problem is, is that they based their lives on what they thought God was like. You know, in some way they thought God needed their obedience or that their self-denial actually impressed God or that in some way God was dependent upon their actions and their work in order to be glorified. Well, God's response to all this is in Psalm 50, verses 9 through 13, where he says, I will not take a bull from your house, nor goats out of your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds on the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field, they're all mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all its fullness. Will I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? You see, what the Lord is saying here in in these verses is that he is self-sustaining, and he doesn't need anything from his creation. The statement, if I were hungry, means that God has no lack. He's never hungry or thirsty, and he doesn't need anything from creation to satisfy him at all. Acts 17.25 says, quote, 
nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. You know, God has revealed himself this way in the Old Testament many times before. When God appeared to Moses as a flame in the bush, it was astounding that that bush never burned. That flame did not require wood to exist. It was self-sustaining. Another time is when the Lord was leading his people out of Egypt into the promised land. At night, he appeared to them as a pillar of fire that they followed through the wilderness at night. Now again, this fire required nothing to exist and to prosper. It wasn't even necessary for this fire to be grounded. It was in the midair. So God doesn't need anything to exist and to prosper. He is perfectly content, satisfied, and full of joy in the fellowship that exists within the Trinity. God doesn't need anyone to do anything for him. He doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our gifts because it's already his to begin with. So the question is, how do you serve a God that has absolutely no needs? If God has no needs, how do we make it our aim to please him? Well, the answer comes from continuing our reading in Psalm 50. Verse 15 says, Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. You see, God wants us to come to him with our need, our thirst, and our hunger, so that he can deliver us. And it's through that deliverance that God is made much of. You know, for example, when my brother was in the hospital dying of cancer, he couldn't do anything for himself. You know, when I visited him, I was so amazed at the level of care that the staff gave him. They cleaned up after him. They helped him go to the bathroom. They were just on top of everything that he needed. In fact, after he passed, I had to go back to the nurse's station, and I gave them a gift and just told them all how amazing they were how great they were, and how they cared for him. Now, in this case, who was being glorified here? My brother or the staff? Well, it's the staff, the servants, the ones who give and the ones who serve are always the ones who gets the glory. In the same way, God gets the glory when we come to him in our need, and he delivers us. So how do we serve God? Well, we serve him with our lack, our needs, our hunger, and our thirst. We come to him with it, and he satisfies us, and that satisfaction and enjoyment leads us to make a big deal about him. The psalmist asks the same question and then gives us the answer. In Psalm 116, 12 through 14, he says, quote, 
What shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits towards me? That's the question. The answer is, I will take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. You see, we want to bless God for his goodness towards us. But how can we when he doesn't need anything to us from us? The answer is to take up the cup of salvation. Drink it deeply. And then take your empty cup, lift it up, and call upon the name of the Lord for more. That's what the psalmist is telling us to do here. That's how we please God. That's how we bless God. He fills our cup so that his inexhaustible goodness is magnified. Jesus taught, it, taught us this in Matthew 6.24 when he says, You cannot serve both God and mammon. You know, here we get a picture of how God wants to be served by looking at how one would serve mammon or money. You know, in, in this world, money is what brings us pleasure, right? The way we naturally and normally think is that the more money I have, the more pleasure I can have. I can go on more vacations, I can eat better food, I can do more fun things or, or have more things that I enjoy. So the God of money is served when we try to position our lives to get as much of it as possible for the sake of the pleasure that it brings. We might work longer hours, pick up another job, play the lotto, or do whatever it takes to get more. You know, God is served the same way. We do whatever it takes to get more of him. Because the more of God we have, the more pleasure we have. Because there's nothing else in the universe that can give us more pleasure and satisfaction than him. So we serve God by positioning our lives to receive more of his riches, his glory, and his presence. Psalm 1611 says, In your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You see, as we pursue the pleasures and enjoyment of God, he is well pleased. Psalm 147.11 says, The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his mercy. He takes pleasure in those who hope in his deliverance, in his provision, in him. You know, Pastor John Piper has a great illustration of how this works. He says, quote, God is a mountain spring, not a watering trough. A mountain spring is self-replenishing. It constantly overflows to supply others. But a watering trough needs to be filled with a pump or a bucket. So the great question is, how do you serve a spring? And how do you serve a watering trough? You see, if you want to glorify the, work, the worth of a watering trough, you have to work hard to keep it useful, keep it productive. But if you want to glorify the worth of a mountain spring, 
You do it by getting on your hands and knees and drinking until your heart's satisfaction, until you have the refreshment and the strength to go back down into the valley to tell others what you found. That's how we serve God, by going to him and drinking until we're satisfied and we receive from him. The most effective witnessing that I believe I've ever done is telling people that I work with all the different times that God has been there to deliver me, to protect me, to watch out for me. You know, I remember when I left the camp, after 31 years I was at the camp, and I wondered, why God? Why now? Why after 31 years am I leaving this place now? Only to find out after I started working at ShopRite that months later the camp would shut down totally. Everybody lost their job because of COVID. Eventually the camp would actually be sold. Everybody lost their job. And I remember uh, talking to a, an, an unbelieving colleague about this. And I remember him shaking his head saying, wow, Steve, God's really looking out for you. It's amazing. God really looked out for you. You know, his goodness, his leadership was magnified, not by anything I did, but by what God has done as I received from him. The greatest example is our salvation. We come to God with our need for forgiveness, acceptance, righteousness. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You know, we were once desperate sinners under God's wrath because of our sin. Jesus served us by dying on the cross and rising from the dead. On the cross, he took our sin, our guilt, our shame, our failures, our sin, our weaknesses, all of our shortcomings. He took the justice for it all on the cross. And then he takes that from us, and then in exchange, he gives us his righteousness and then makes it as if we never sinned. Our entire Christian walk continues this same way. When we come to him with our lack, he fills us with his glory and we glorify him because of it. We go to God with our needs, with our lack. He shows up as the mighty one who serves and delivers and conquers and he gets the glory. You know, God enjoys serving his people. Now, this may sound a bit arrogant, you know, at first, but, you know, that's only arrogant in the context of me being a boss and God needs a job. But that's not the context. The context is I'm bankrupt and I need somebody who's rich. I'm foolish and I need somebody who's wise. I'm weak and I need someone who's strong. I'm fragile and I need someone who can protect me. God loves to show up in all of our circumstances to demonstrate his godness because the powerful one gets the glory. 
Now, there are a lot of scriptural examples of people positioning their lives to get more of God. And Zacchaeus was a great example that we could learn from. Luke 19, verses 2 through 5 says, Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but he could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass by that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. You see, Zacchaeus was a needy man. He was living a life that he hated. He was stuck in a job as a tax collector that he couldn't get out of. He was despised by the people because he was a tax collector. They all looked at him as a sellout to the Romans. The very few friends that he had was only because of his wealth. He couldn't even go to the synagogue for support because everybody there just gave him dirty looks. His life had come to ruins. Now he hears about Jesus and learns that he's passing through. He has to do something to get close, something to get near. But unfortunately, the crowds are way too thick. And he was so short, there was no way of him getting near. Well, no one would help him because, after all, he's the despised tax collector. Well, what would you have done here? What, how would this look for you? Would you, have been, would you have given up after being confronted with the barriers? Would you have gone home? Would it have been too hard for you? Well, Zacchaeus saw the sycamore. And imagine this wee little man trying to climb up the sycamore. He was probably laughed at and even made fun of, but it didn't matter. He just wanted to see Jesus. Well, when Jesus got there, he saw how Zacchaeus positioned himself to see him, just to see him and to be close to him. When Jesus got there, Jesus was moved. He was pleased. And Jesus would eventually give all of himself to Zacchaeus. Now Zacchaeus had true riches, true love, acceptance, purpose, and joy. You see, in all of this, it's our weakness that reveals God's worth. When we go to God to receive from him, it's his opportunity to reveal how awesome he is. And he gives us what we need and how he takes care of us. And in that way, he is magnified. He is made much of. The more we do that, the more riches and glory and grace that we experience in our lives. You know, knowing what God is like changes how we aim to please him. You know, if God was like that watering trough, well, then we better work hard to make him look good because he needs that. He requires that. But thank God, he's like Niagara Falls. He's inexhaustible. You'll never, ever get to the end of it. The question is, how can we position ourselves to receive from God? 
You know, no matter where we are in our relationship with him, there's still more of God to be imparted to us. There is more joy, more beauty, more wonder, more amazement, more pleasure and enjoyment to be had from God. How do we position ourselves to get more of that? Well, we have a good example with Zacchaeus. First, we we have to identify the barriers. For him, it was the crowds. What is it for us? Is it time? Are we too busy to take the time to receive from him? Are we oppressed by the responsibilities that we have in life that they take center stage? Is it our culture? Do we lean on all the things that we have in this world and all the resources that we have in our midst instead of depending on him? Or is it greed? Do we have to have more and accomplish more that we just don't acknowledge God in our circumstances? Or is it simply lack of desire? Your desire isn't strong enough. You know, there are a lot of potential barriers to keep us drinking from the trough. What are they for you? Next, like Zacchaeus, we need to realize the one who can truly deliver me, the one who can truly satisfy is here. It's right here. Psalm 33, 17 says, A mighty man is not delivered by great strength, and a horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. All the the incredible things that we see and have in this world, they're not our hope. We can't hope in those things. They are frail, fragile, and undependable. There's nothing else to depend on. God is our only hope, and he's right here. The one with eternal pleasures, boundless riches of love, wisdom, truth, power, and goodness, infinite treasures, It's right here. The source of all that's good and pleasurable is passing through. The creator of beautiful sunsets, every shining star, warm bonfires, all the rich flavors of food, the most moving sounds of music and nature, all the different smells from the flowers, the creator of all of these pleasures is right here. So we ask God to gain the vision, the knowledge, and the desire to seek him for the treasure that he is. Lastly, we can ask God for the sycamore tree. Where, God, do I go to see you clearly and to receive from you? Where would God call you to go out on a limb, quote-unquote, Is it dealing with a particular sin? Is it stepping out in a new area of obedience? Is it reprioritizing our time to put him first? Is it letting go of an idol? Or is it developing a prayer closet? You know, it may be different for each of us. You know, while I was working at the camp, I had really good times with God in his word, and I was growing in in that way. But I have to say, my prayer time suffered. My intercessory time was suffering. 
And I saw the movie War Room. I don't know if any of you have seen it. And I really wanted to have that with God, like a time and a place where I could just intercede for people and pray for others and really have a, an intimate time with God on behalf of others. And, but no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't get the time or the energy. So I prayed for the sycamore. You know, and when I started my job at ShopRite, my commute was 50 minutes one way. So I had 50 uninterrupted minutes each morning to intercede. God revolutionized my prayer life. And it was definitely a time that I received from him as I interceded for others. So we can ask God for that sycamore in our life. Where would God call us to just go out on a limb to be where Jesus is so that we could receive from him? You know, he doesn't need you to do anything for him, but he does want you to go out to receive more from him. He has so much more to give us, and he wants that for us. You know, doing this changes everything. It changes how we even experience acts of service. Proverbs 11.25 says, The generous soul shall be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. What this means is that when we step out in obedience and act in our faith, we will see and experience more of God. When you give the more of God, you'll get back. As the scripture said, when you water others and you're sprinkling others with water, you yourself are going to get doused. You know, I remember a good example of this was my senior year in college. God was calling me to sponsor a child through World Vision. Now, as many of you know, the college years are not the most prosperous financially, to say the least. Well, I was tempted to say, I'll wait until I graduate, I'll get a job, and then I can afford to sponsor a child. I'll, I'll totally cover it that way. But I kept, I kept sensing God saying, no, no, if you are going to serve me, it must be done not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. So God gave me a, an overwhelming sense that he was going to do this. I just needed to depend on him, receive from him, and trust. So in my lack of funds, I sponsored a child in obedience, and I was overwhelmed and amazed how God provided every month the money that was necessary. What a gift that was for me. You know, God didn't need me to sponsor a child. But, you know, through that experience, I have to say, I found out I was the needy one. I was the one in need. I needed to know more about God. I needed to have more of God and understand his provision. And he gave me so much more through that experience. You see, if we serve God out of need, obligation, duty, or in our own strength, then yes, God will be boring, God will be irrelevant, and God will be stagnant because it's our strength, not his. When we see our service as a way to receive from God, to get more of God, 
well, then, then it's life-giving, exciting, and it's alive. May God give us the desire and the opportunity to step into a realm of obedience that gives us more of him. You know, another change is that we can receive the confidence that we need each day. Remember that God is like the mountain spring that flows in abundance, and it doesn't depend on anything in creation to exist. Now with that, 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Now think about that for a moment. Think of all the quote-unquote good work that you do. Realize that God is giving you all sufficient abundance for that good work, for cooking, for cleaning, taking out the garbage, doing schoolwork, helping a friend, teaching children's church. So throughout the day, God has a river of all-sufficient, abundant grace flowing right through us at every moment. And God is able to have that grace flow through us unless we choose to drink from the trough. We can depend on our our weak and feeble resources for our battles and drink from a trough that we need to keep filled and and useful, or we can go to the mountain spring and receive the all-sufficient, abundant grace. Now, this grace can sustain you through anything and everything. It's the same grace that empowered Jesus Christ to endure the cross and to rise from the dead. And the more we choose that mountain spring, the more we can turn around and look at the end of each day and see reservoirs, reservoirs of grace that had flown through us throughout the day. And for this, we can be thankful. For this, we can make much of God. See, you can look back and and see, God gave me wisdom here. He gave me strength there perspective here, provision there, and he gave me comfort here. You can point to his all-sufficiency at the end of each day. And then you can look forward with confidence tomorrow, knowing that you are going to receive fresh streams of grace that will be all-sufficient for every moment you encounter. You don't have to fear tomorrow because the grace will be there tomorrow. You don't have tomorrow's grace yet. Today, you have Sunday's grace. But when you wake up tomorrow, you'll have all-sufficient grace on Monday to experience everything that you will go through tomorrow, all the things you've planned and all those things that come up that are unplanned. You'll have the grace to deal with Monday. And you don't have to worry about Wednesday or Thursday. You will have the grace when you wake up Wednesday morning for that particular day. It says that in Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. It says, quote, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. 
Great is thy faithfulness. Every morning when we wake up, there's sufficient grace for that day. This is why the persecuted church can face such awful and terrible situations. And then with their whole hearts turn around and say, God is so awesome. Because we're talking about streams and rivers and reservoirs of grace. They're getting oceans of grace that continue to give them the strength to stand and to endure and to persevere through their difficulties. And you know, with that, they're the ones getting more of God. They're the truly the rich ones. They're rich with the things of God. So instead of drinking stale water from the trough, we can go to God with everything and get fresh water from God himself. Lastly, this gives us a healthy way to look at our trials, our challenges, and our difficulties. None of these things are pleasant when you go through them. They are, they're painful. They're hard. But to get us to be like Zacchaeus, that'll do anything just to see him, just to get close, God in his sovereignty will provide trials and difficult times. But in these times, he reveals a glory that we couldn't get unless we were going through those times. There's a grace that we would never receive because it's a grace we didn't need. Right? So we would miss out on so much more of him if it wasn't for the adversity. Job was a great example of this. He lost his children, his house, his wealth, his health. And he asked God, why God? You know, God never answered his question, why? But he revealed the who. He revealed himself to Job. And there was so much glory and God's nature revealed to Job that at the end, Job was totally satisfied, totally overwhelmed with glory and grace. Now, when we go through those times, we know it's an opportunity to get more of God if we go to the mountain spring. So we aim to please God by positioning ourselves to get more of him. Psalm 81 verse 10 says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth and I will fill it. Isaiah 64 4 says, For since the beginning of the world... Men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, nor has seen the eye, or has the eye seen any God besides you who acts for the ones who wait for him. Psalm 34.10, those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. You see, God wants to work for us so that he could show up and be the one who's glorified through us. He doesn't get the glory When we serve him, he gets the glory when he serves us because the servant and the giver is the ones who always get the glory. So if we want to make it our aim to serve him, don't waste your life trying to serve a needy God or serve God out of duty or obligation. 
Instead, position your life to get more. Get more of him. Peter summarizes it best when he writes in 1 Peter 4.11. He says, quote, If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we are just so thankful that our Christian walk and and all the things, Lord, it's not us. It's not about us. It's not about our strength. And Lord, thank God. I know my strength is, is puny. There's nothing great about it, Lord. And so, Father, we just thank you that we have you in all of our circumstances. We have you in our challenges. We have you in the mundane. We have you... In, in all things. And Lord, we know that you say it in your word that apart from you, we can do nothing. That's a factual truth, Lord. We know it. And so, Father, help us again to position our lives to receive from you. Help us to hide this word in our heart that we wouldn't depart from it, that you would be pleased, that you would be glorified and magnified and exalted and all that you do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.